You are Locked On Wolverines, your daily podcast on the Michigan Wolverines, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Good morning and happy Saturday. Locked On Wolverines podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. I am your man on the ground, Isaiah Hole, publisher of Wolverines Wire through USA Today Sports Media Group. This feels like this is going to be a shorter episode. I say that sometimes and it ends up being 30. I think the last one I said was going to be a shorter episode and it didn't end up going that way. So we'll see what ends up happening as far as that's concerned. But uh, I crowdsourced this one because I really didn't have anything to talk about. So we're going to see where this goes. We're going to see what just comes of it. Really. So I asked about a half hour ago. I said, is there anything that you want me to talk about? So that is what we were going to do, because I feel like I exhausted a bunch of the things between the mailbag and all of the Molingua stuff that we talked about yesterday. And uh, I mean, just of course, there's just not a lot going on. Uh, probably could have talked a little bit about uh, Devontae Jones. Maybe we'll do that at the end. I think we have talked about him. I, I, I guess I don't remember very well because we did talk about the draft and I think we added that in. But um, memory doesn't serve me well. Let's uh let's start up with one of our leaders and best who uh joins in on this uh this crowdsourcing of questioning. James Crudup at James Crudup six. He wants to know why Michigan sold its football soul to have nice things in basketball. It is kind of funny when you think about it, right? Because uh there it's like the two teams can't be great at the same time. Um I, I'm gonna look up right now what their uh, what their records are because it just seems like the really good years for either team they can't coincide, right? Like if if Michigan like I, I guess like 2011 through 2012 Michigan basketball went 24 and 10, but I mean the next year was the year that they went to the they went to the national finals and lost. You know, they went to the, the Final Four and all of that stuff. But football, it's like, it's been a long time. Because, like, Fab Five era, you know, like that uh, That was 91, 92, and 92, 93. Michigan football at that time, that was probably the best case scenario. That was Gary Moeller won the Rose Bowl in 92. Uh, but went eight and four in ninety three, but ten and two in ninety one, nine zero and three in ninety two. So it's it's that's probably the last time that they were all good, right? That's the kind of weird thing. Ninety seven, Michigan won everything. In the ninety six ninety seven year, Michigan went twenty four and eleven. Uh, no NCAA tournament there. Twenty five and nine the next year. Uh, and uh, lost in the second round. So, and that was Brian Ellerby's first year, and we all know kind of what happened in the Brian Ellerby era. But uh, really, you don't have years where like things are really, really good both ways. Like you think about the recent times that Michigan, Michigan football has been really good. Twenty eighteen. I mean, they lost in the the semifinal. The, the the basketball team in 2018 2019 
2016, in the 2016-17 year, uh, they again lost in the regional sem- semifinal basketball. So I guess they, they were okay in some of those years. They were 30-7 and seven in 2018-2019. But for the most part, it does seem like one team's good and the other one isn't. Now, both of them are historically very good programs. So it is kind of weird that that's how that goes. And if you would have asked me two years ago, around this time when John Beeline was gone, waiting to get the hire of Juwan Howard, Juwan Howard being hired, which of the two programs is going to be better in the next couple of years, I would have easily said football. Football in twenty, you know, going into the 2019 season, it felt like they were going to build upon that which it had just done in 2018. Especially bringing in Josh Gaddis and all of that. And basketball, I mean, it wasn't great in Juwan Howard's first year, 19 and 12, but kind of started feeling like it was getting better and better as the season went on. And it kind of felt like they were poised to make a run before everything got canceled due to COVID. But 2020, 2021, I mean, it, it felt like football, again, like was going to, to do so. I know I was kind of an outlier in some degree. I expected the football team to be a lot better than it ended up being, but yeah. So it, it it's crazy to me that uh, the two teams can't seem to be great at the same time. Now, obviously, we expect a lot more from basketball this next year. But, I mean, football could come back just as quickly, I think, is is kind of the thing. Like, we think that football is, like, I mean, football enthusiasm is, it, it feels like it's at a lull. Like, it's at a low, like we haven't seen since 2014. And there's a lot of people that still have faith in Jim Harbaugh. There's a lot of people who don't. Doesn't help gut punches like what happened yesterday with Mo Linguist moving on. But it, it you know, it's it, it. This could be a year where they're both pretty good. Now, football's pretty good is probably nine and three, whereas basketball's pretty good is accomplishing the same thing it did last year. Because now you expect that they'll they'll at least make the elite eight, especially with Devontae Jones coming in, especially with Eli Brooks sticking around. You know, you've got Hunter Dickinson. You know, you've got all those guys football it's you don't have a lot of those proven guys there's a lot of potential is the way you look at it right like the only one that you kind of look at and say well he is absolutely going to be a beast is Aiden Hutchinson but you know Daxton Hill hasn't proven himself yet for instance uh some of the guys who had proven themselves before like Brad Hawkins Josh Ross People are skeptical that they're going to be even any good this upcoming year. So there's a disconnect there. Offensively, you don't know what you're going to get. You you can sit there and say, well, Ronnie Bell's probably going to be pretty good, but he's dependent pretty heavily on the quarterback, who's also dependent on the offensive line, and nothing is really a proven commodity. I think the offensive line's pretty close, but... I had them ranked as the, the position group I have the most confidence in this next season, but still, I don't know. We will find out, <laughs> but hopefully you'll, you'll see a year before too long. where both are really good. Cause you would just kill to have like Ohio state, Florida type situations from 2006. Both teams faced off in the 2006 national. Well, I guess technically it was 2007 BCS national championship game. And then 
those two programs also put their basketball teams to face off against each other in the national championship game for basketball. That's the ideal. That is the goal, obviously. Having where both of your teams can can be that good. Now, you want to be on the Florida side of things, not the Ohio State side of things, because Florida won both of those. But still. All right. Let's move on. But before we do, let's talk about rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and for do-it-yourselfers. Rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. Now, rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, let's move on. I have another question, this one coming from Tim Campbell at VNCNT, is like Vincent without an I, life. Can Michigan fans ever be happy? And is it our fault? Um, I think that's an interesting question because I, I obviously love talking about fan-based things. I don't think under the current situation of what college football is, unless Michigan fans lower their expectations and or see things for what they are when they are happening, the bulk of Michigan fans will ever be happy. You know, it's it's John U. Bacon, and he, he said that this is, quote has come from other people, but it's that adage, Michigan fans aren't happy unless they're unhappy. Also, the most popular person on campus at any given time is the backup quarterback, and you see that all the time. Those two things, kind of in conjunction with each other, don't help. Additionally, I think that we've gone over this before. Michigan fans highly overestimate what Michigan has been for a very long time. Like I've told you, I've gone back and said, I don't know if I've spelled this out necessarily. I have in private conversations. Jim Harbaugh has three double-digit win seasons, all 10 and three in his six years. You have to... it. As far as the amount of double-digit win seasons that Michigan had had before that, you have to go start at 20, 2003, then 2006, then 2011. So you're looking at what? 12 years. He's done in a six-year span what otherwise took 12 years. Now, of course, Lloyd Carr had more overall, but Lloyd Carr in his first six years also had three 10-win-plus seasons. He had two 10-win seasons and obviously an undefeated season, which resulted in a national championship. But his teams went 9-4, and 8-4, and 12-0, and 10-3, and 10-2, and 9-3. And and so... 
I think part of it is the expectations because Michigan had not been a double-digit win on the regular team as far as regularly. The only time it really ever has been. Now, granted, there's more games now. But the only time it, it, it has been where it only loses maybe two or three games a season. Or I should say two games or, you know, and I will add the bowl game, but where it's it's been that good. It's essentially the tenure war era. Bo Schembechler went eight and three, nine and one, eleven and one, ten and one, ten oh and one, ten and one, eight two and two, ten two, ten two, ten two, eight and four, ten two. After that, Bo Schembechler had two more seasons in which he had reached, or three more seasons where he reached double digit wins. 85, 86, 89. Gary Moeller only reached that once in 91. Lloyd Carr reached it six times in his how long? It looks like it was a 14-year career overall. Rich Rodriguez never hit it. Brady Hoke hit it in year one, but never again. Never even hit nine wins again. Michigan football, I remember growing up. I remember before I went to Michigan, starting in 99, and then I left and came back in 2004. I remember saying to someone, the thing about Michigan football is, if they lose a game, it feels like the season is over. But they always lose a game. They've only not lost a game once in most of our lifetimes. And I'll include ties, you know, like, I mean, I'm not including ties, rather, because, you know, you had like the Gary Moeller 9-0-3. You had a, a couple of years there where they might have, you know, the Bo Schembechler tiebreaker year in 1973. But ultimately, how many years was, it, was there were there a zero in that loss column without a tie being included there? 1932, Harry Kipke. 1923, Fielding H. Yost. 1918, Fielding H. Yost. 1904, Fielding H. Yost. 1901, 1902. Gustav Fairbair? Ferbert? I don't know how to say his name. I know how it looks, <laughs> but 1898. Not a lot of years where Michigan has had seasons where it hadn't lost a game or close whereas you look at other teams i mean granted alabama has their issues but um you look at the team that everyone wants to obviously point at and that's ohio state wow their wikipedia is a lot harder to read i mean even you know they've had a couple losses here or there i mean yeah they won the championship in 2014 but they had a loss they had the season that didn't count 12 and 0 and 2012, which was Urban Meyer's first year. They lost in the uh, they, they lost to Alabama in the championship game this year. They lost to Clemson in the semifinal last year. They always seem to have a loss, but you know, 2002, they went undefeated. 1973, well, no, that's the same thing as, as what is with Michigan. 1968, so but the, the difference is Remember how I said 
about Michigan with the the 10-win season. Six in Lloyd Carr's 14 years. Since then, you've had four. Three from Harbaugh, one from, from Brady Hoke. So since 1995, heck, you can go back further if we really wanted to. Since... Well, 1991, when Michigan went 10 and 2 under Gary Moeller, Michigan has only had a grand total of 10 double digit win seasons. Ohio State, let's look at them. They've had, last year would have been one, but it wasn't because they only played eight games. But not counting that. Ohio State has won double digits every year with the exception of 2011 going back to 2005. Then they had a bad 2004 going 8 and 4 and then they had two double, you know, 10 plus win seasons before that. Ohio State wins double digit games every year barring some kind of disaster. 2004 2011, and then 2020, 2020, because of the shortened schedule. Otherwise, they do it every year. So is Ohio State a peer? Because obviously that's the thing is people judge Michigan on Ohio State. Now, in the 90s, absolutely. They were still winning 10, 10 games a year. 93, 95, 96, 97, 98. Double-digit wins. What did Michigan do in that time? Yeah, they were beating Ohio State constantly. Michigan hit double-digit wins in 91, 97, 98, and 99. So if the question is, will fans ever be happy? The only way fans will be happy is if they get to Ohio State levels and just win 10-plus games every single year. But it can't just be 10. If you're 10-3 and three every year, I mean, we've, we've seen it. People were very disappointed after 2006. People were very disappointed after uh, 2016 and after 2018. Less so in 2015 because it, it felt like it was building towards something. The only way that Michigan fans will be happy is if they beat Ohio State regularly and achieve that level of greatness where you're just winning double-digit wins every single year. And I don't think it is feasible right now. I think Jim Harbaugh has at least gotten Michigan back to the Lloyd Carr version of Michigan. Generally going to be in 9-3, and 8-4, 10-3, 10-2, whatever type of program but not that upper, upper echelon. That is what Michigan has been for a very, very long time. And even under Bo Schembechler for half of his career, really, Bo's heyday came in the 70s. After that, 1981, the year I was born, 9-3, and three, then 8-4, and 9-3, and 6-6, six and 10-1-1, six, one and, one, and then you had the Harbaugh era, 10-1-1, 11-2, then Harbaugh's gone, eight and four, nine two two and one, finishes his career at ten and two. So it isn't as incredible, I don't think, the the lore behind Michigan football 
as people think. I'm going to continue on this for the next couple minutes uh, because I think it's worth the worth the continued discussion, and then we'll finish out. Uh, but first, BetOnline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, they're in full swing. BetOnline even covers award shows, TV shows, reality TV with real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline also has you covered for all the news, scores, and the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and guess what? It's free to sign up. Head over to BetOnline.ag to sign up today. Use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now I also got to tell you a little bit about Built Bar. Y'all know how much I love Bilt Bar. I had two last night, as I said, and sh- I was going to on the show. Delicious. It's like a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Uh, remember how I mentioned yesterday the strawberry ones that were like a Mother's Day only? Guess what? They're back for two days. I got an email this morning or a text or something from Bilt Bar. So if you want it, get on it because they are delicious. They are incredible. Uh, I've been eating the peanut butter brownie ones. Uh, cookies and cream ones are phenomenal as well. Uh, high protein, low, low calorie, low carb, everything you want in a protein bar. Like I will not eat other protein bars. If I have the opportunity to have a built bar, I think it's the best. That's a personal opinion on top of the fact that they are a sponsor. So I am telling you, go to builtbar.com, put in promo code locked 15, get 15% off that next order. Builtbar.com locked 15, 15% off of that next order. And it's 18 bars per box. So it's really, really good value. All right. So let's continue on talking about Michigan fan base and what Michigan's fans need to be happy. Now, the other thing I didn't mention is the quarterback situation. Michigan's best single season at quarterback, record-wise, belongs to John Navarre in 2003. People do not think very highly or finely of John Navarre, and I understand he wasn't like this crazy dynamic guy, but he was able to pass the ball. Shea Patterson came relatively close, didn't quite get to the 3,331 that John Navarre hit, but um, nonetheless, I mean, he got relatively close he, in his two years of being in Ann Arbor. The only time I can think of in recent memory that Michigan has had a quarterback that people just loved, I mean, obviously Chad Henney. I think people love Chad Henney. Other than that is Denard Robinson. I think part of that was demeanor and uh, the fact that obviously he could run the ball as well. Very, you know, obviously had those types of games against Notre Dame that cemented him in Michigan lore. Um, but otherwise, like Shea Patterson in 2019 was less than 300 yards away from hitting John Navarre's mark. He had 3,061 yards. Jake Rudock in 2015, 3,017. Shea Patterson's 2018 also was number nine on the Michigan passing records. I think that, and I don't think that Shea was appreciated whatsoever. Just like I don't think Wilton Spate, now his 2016 isn't on that list of single season records, but I don't think people appreciate how good Wilton Spate was in 2016. Those games were over by halftime, most of them. So he wasn't playing a full game. He was playing in the first half, and then the second half was John O'Corn time for the most part. For at least half the games. But, I mean, even week two this last year, I understand it, it continued going downhill, but everyone was on the Joe Milton train after week one. Week two went the way it went. It wasn't his fault that things didn't go 
perfect. A lot of that was on the defense, inability to run the ball. And yet people in week two were already over Joe Milton. I was already having those conversations with people who were just over it. It was kind of the same for Shea Patterson. I think that there needs to be a little bit more embrace of the competent quarterbacking. Might not be elite, but you got to build towards something. Some people get flyers. Jake Rudock kind of got a flyer because he was he was a one year rental and he finished the season strong. But for the most part, it just doesn't seem like Michigan fans ever really love their quarterback. I understand you haven't had the generational talent in what today exists in today's college football. You know, you don't have like Dwayne Haskins or Justin Fields were for Ohio State. You don't have a Joe Burrow who, I mean, that's hard to compare him to anybody because he had the best season ever. Michigan fans are just yearning for a Mac Jones, a Joe Burrow, a Tua Tagovailoa, a Justin Fields, someone to come and just set the world on fire as a quarterback. Hasn't happened in Ann Arbor in a very long time because none of the people I just mentioned for Michigan were that. Chad Henney wasn't that. Tom Brady wasn't that at, in Ann Arbor. Shea Patterson wasn't. Denard wasn't. There's no one, Michigan has yet to have a guy that is that generational, game-changing quarterback like we see in today's college football. Keeping in mind that there have been insanely good quarterbacks that have come through here, especially looking at the stretch from Rick Leach through to Jim Harbaugh, you know, to Elvis Gerbach and Todd Collins. I mean, Brady included. Michigan hadn't asked their quarterbacks to necessarily be that guy. Michigan has always been known as we're going to run the ball. Nothing you're going to be able to do about it. We're just going to do it, and you're just going to have to enjoy it while it happens. But college football has changed, of course, and people expect Michigan to change. Michigan's trying to change and just hasn't had it yet. So if Cade McNamara goes out there, if he's the guy or if it's Alan Bowman, I know here's the thing. I think if Cade goes out there and and is okay, passes for 250 yards a game, Michigan wins, does does okay. It isn't like, you know, they win their games 35 to 17 every every week. People are going to be clamoring for whoever's behind him. It's just how it how it's gone here. So you hope that you just kind of look at reality in the eyes and say in order to in order to at least be a good team you have to have just competent steady hands well, i understand you want more than that but it hasn't been more than that and you need to at least get back to that back to the expectations of beating wisconsin and penn state being competitive with ohio state but losing i'm not saying accept that as what the team should be just accept that for what the team has been for decades that's what michigan has been eventually you hope it gets past that but it hasn't been that it hasn't been that elite program since the 70s maybe the late 80s with a few exceptions here and there 
you hope that you at least get back to the point where, hey, every three years they're going to be in the talk of of things. But it's uh, there's a lot of fan revisionist history. So I know this was a difficult conversation because I know one wants to hear, especially because people think of me as being a more positive force as far as like the way I look at Michigan football. But at the same time, realistically, a lot of the people that get really upset, I think a lot, particularly in some of the media people, they aren't looking at Michigan football for what it has been for a very long time. So I'm just here to tell you what it is. All right. See, we went about 30 minutes. That'll do it for us. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Hopefully we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about. We are in that dead season. We are in the slowest month of the year, May. So we will see. But anyway, we'll talk soon. Peace. Peace.